Welcome to What I Wish I Knew by Dental Head Start, your weekly mentoring session thanks to cpdjunkie.com.au. So we see a child with some missing teeth, some crowding here or there and a bit of a funny bite. Do we intervene now or do we watch and wait and let them grow into themselves? Welcome back to What I Wish I Knew. My name's Erica Huynh and in this episode, we chat again with Dr. Derek Mahoney about the age-old question of when to start orthodontic treatment. Now, if you haven't already, check out our previous episode with Dr. Mahoney about early airway intervention and how this can simplify and optimize orthodontic treatment later on. Because in today's episode, we talk about at what age exactly should we start assessing children, how to assess their peak growth, and the ideal age to begin treatment. This one's short and sweet, so let's jump straight into it. So I would always tell parents and referring dentists, please send the kids in as soon as you have um, eruption of the second molar, you know? So by, on average for a girl, that might be sort of 11 to 12 for a boy, even a little bit later, uh, I would say the year seven, year eight age group. And then of course you've lost um, so many options because facial growth is complete by that age. So you're really on the back foot. And I used to take out a lot of teeth uh, to compensate for the crowding. I used to use a lot of headgears to compensate for the class two jaw, you know, rather than encourage growth of the lower jaw. I never did any expansion of the arches, et cetera, et cetera. So I guess my role as the traditional orthodontist and from my traditional orthodontic training was just to straighten teeth and accept the um, skeletal problems as they were. And now I realize that, um, you know, doing that type of treatment, A, it's not stable. Ask anyone who's had traditional orthodontics at 13, 14 and didn't wear their retainer, how straight do their teeth remain, right? That's one question. Uh, Question two, we now are looking more into what impact that has on uh, facial aesthetics. Um, You know, when you retract the incisors, the lip support diminishes, joint problems, if your lower jaw is still trapped in the wrong position, uh, sleep apnea problems, you know, your tongue which should be nicely uh, sitting uh, in your palate. Uh, When your palate's made narrow and your teeth have been retracted, where's the tongue going to go? It's going to go in the back of the throat, which increases your chances of snoring and sleep apnea and sleep disordered breathing, et cetera, et cetera. So I think um, uh, if you want to talk about what I did traditionally, which I thought, you know, I did a three-year degree at a very famous university, um, uh, and I thought, wow, this is this is um, what it's all about. And then I kind of started just listening to uh, mainly a lot of American speakers who were doing mixed dentition treatment, which I had never heard of, never been exposed to, uh, what we call dentofacial orthopedics. And that sort of uh, made me realize that, hey, maybe there is a better way to treat these patients sent to me. So now I'm a big advocate of of educating dentists and, and telling my referring dentists, hey, don't wait till 12, 13 to send me the patient. Um, if you see this, that, and the other, send them early. But on average, I'd like to see that kid at seven. And I'm not saying I treat every kid at seven. I'm just saying seven allows me to establish a lot and pick up a lot of problems early rather than wait till they manifest into a long-term orthodontic uh, solution. It's 2022, a time where cloud-based software is enhancing every aspect of our lives. So why not leverage those same capabilities in something we use every day, our dental practice management software. Imagine a platform rethought from the ground up, intuitive and intelligent, using the possibility of today's technology for your patients and your business. 
a solution that optimizes our daily workflows, creating the edge that modern dentists need to stay competitive and connected. Principal practice management software is this solution. Efficient, intelligent, intuitive. Because it's 2022 and you expect better. Go to principal.dental to learn more. You mentioned at the beginning of the podcast how it was very important of you to educate you know, new dentists, and which is our predominant audience, right? Just on things that they should be looking for. And I guess most of our listeners would be general dentists. And a lot of younger patients would be the first point of call would be the general dentist before seeing an orthodontist, right? Um, what kind of things should a general dentist be checking for when assessing these patients? And at what age really should they start looking? That's that's like a, a really big question. Uh, as in, as in, <laughs> yeah. Look, th- yeah. Th- let, let's just start with one of the lectures I like giving uh, general dentists. Uh, in fact, on Thursday night, I'm giving a talk with Mehdi Rahimi to the final year students at Sydney Uni. And uh, Mehdi's asked me to talk on what he learned when he was a student of mine, uh, and that is the impacted canine, right? So again, many dentists would wait until 13. When the canine hasn't erupted, they then take an x-ray and they realize it's stuck up in the palate. And that's a miserable three, four years of orthodontic therapy for that kid. Whereas if you understand, the canine starts its eruption pathway at about age seven, right? So between seven to nine, if you can take an OPG radiograph and you apply a simple rule, uh, and this is what we call the research of Ericsson and Curol, you basically measure where that canine lies in regard to the lateral incisor and what angle it's coming in. And by looking at those two, you can do interceptive treatment, which based on their research, gives you a 91% chance of avoiding the impacted canine. So, you know, that's a a, a good example. Like uh, if you're getting a child in seven to nine, what are you taught in dental school to do? I mean, I assume you take a bite wing and you check for cavities and oral hygiene and, and their diet. But, you know, how many people take an OPG? Uh, uh, to because a bite wing is not going to show you exactly what I've talked about. Uh, and that's just like a simple example of what a general dentist should understand about looking at things from an orthodontic perspective. Why else is seven to nine a good age? And the intermolar distance establishes itself. If you look at the research by Professor Maurice at Harvard University, he basically took study models of kids from birth till 18, and he kind of measured which kids ended up with nice, well-developed jaws and which kids ended up with crowding, and he kind of uh, worked backwards and seeing if there's any correlation. Now, part of his research, which I thought was the most interesting, he showed that by age seven, the intermolar distance is established. So, you know, that's interesting, certainly for parents, because they always think, well, my kids got crooked teeth, but surely they're going to grow into that and make room. Well, this is the thing. Babies are born with large heads because craniofacial development is well ahead of standing height. So, yes, their kid will definitely grow and have a pubertal growth spurt for height well after seven and eight. But, you know, seven to nine is when that maxilla is developed and it doesn't get any bigger as you get older. So it's very simple for a general dentist to measure the intermolar distance, which ideally should be about 37, 38 millimeters. And if it's a lot narrower than that, then automatically, you know, something should be going off in their mind saying this could 
this kid could benefit for some form of interceptive treatment. By seven to nine, the molar relationship is kind of established. So you can see your class twos and your class threes. By seven, the anterior cranial base, which is a uh, synchrondrosis is established. That's from, you know, I don't get too technical, but from a, a point concella to nasion. And that allows you to determine where the upper jaw should lie and where the lower jaw should lie in relation to that. So it's a very good age, I guess, to establish foundations without missing the boat. Um, now, I treat even earlier than that if the kid has specific uh, sleep apnea problem. So I get a lot of referrals uh, from you nose and throat doctors, from pediatric uh, sleep physicians, from you know pediatricians uh, for children who are as early as four and five um, and have sleep apnea uh, because they are well aware of the importance of widening that palate early. So to answer your question, if there's a medical underlying problem, I treat as early as that patient is sent in to help their airway. But if it's like a dental issue, like the whole sort of like, you know, how are we going to minimize crowding later on? Seven to nine is a good age. And that's also the age that the American Association of Orthodontists uh, recommend a child should see an orthodontist. And I always say, if you really want a very good um, page to link your soon-to-be dental website, I guess, if you're talking about new grads, uh, when they establish their own practice, the section under what is orthodontics and what's the best age to come in to visit, you know, the, the dentist for orthodontics, uh, the American, the AAO website is just fantastic because it really talks about everything I've just said, uh, but in a friendly parent-can-understand type uh, manner. So, yes, so so for a, a young graduate, um, you should be focusing at a much earlier age, mixed dentition, rather than just waiting for the traditional permanent dentition and then uh, sort of worrying about problems. And is the seven the kind of golden age because it's before their peak growth or before all the for all the permanent so Seven allows you still to take advantage of maxillary development. Whether you're a new grad or an experienced clinician, there comes a point where our passion wanes and we lack direction and motivation for our profession. At some point, we all need a little bit of inspiration, something that helps take us to the next level. Presenting the Dental Summit 2023. Two whole days of incredible lectures from Australia's greatest CPD providers held at the Shangri-La Hotel in Sydney, followed by a cocktail night to remember so you can make those connections and network with like-minded dentists. So, in 2023, invest in yourself. Visit the webpage www.tds23.com to purchase tickets for September 1st and 2nd. And you can use our discount code DHS10 to get 10% off your ticket purchase. When you assess peak growth, actually, Dr. Mahoney, how do you assess that? Is it by age or do you look at other characteristics? How do you determine? Because does it differ much between different patients? So most people, when they talk about growth, they'll do a hand wrist, hand wrist x-ray, right? But what they don't realize, that Tanner index is for uh, long bone growth, you know, for standing height. So, you know, if you have a, a child of short stature, you want to see like where they are in their pubertal growth spurt. But if you go back to the face development of, of the jaws, um, the index we use is called cervical vertebral maturation index or CVM. It was developed by two fantastic researchers from University of Florence, uh, Drs. Bacchetti and Frankie. 
And what they showed is that if you look at the cervical vertebrae, the shape and size of them, and also the lower border, you have a very accurate time timing of when to intervene for which jaw. So the maxilla grows well before the mandible, but the size and position of the mandible of the maxilla influences the growth of the lower jaw. So when I'm looking into when to treat the malocclusion, I know the peak growth of the maxilla, I know the peak growth of the mandible um, based on those cervical vertebrae. So no longer do I look at um, tooth eruption as a guide. No longer do I ask questions like, is your child changing their shoe sizes still? Or has your daughter, um, you know, started menarche? You know, that, that's all related to uh, pubertal height growth changes. We now focus specifically on our area, which is um, the uh, development of the face, in particular the palate, uh, what we call the nasomaxillary complex. And, uh, and that's very closely linked to the cervical vertebrae. Uh, so that, that's uh, how I uh, determine the appropriate time to treat um, skeletal problems. I see. And do you still see many patients that are older, Dr. Mahoney? Well, I, because we're so busy, I mean, I have 10 associates. So I must say the majority of the older patients I leave to them. <laughs> yeah. right? I mean, uh, uh, I have some doctors who are really good on clear aligner therapy. And of course, that's a big market, you know. Uh, and guess what the biggest market is? It's all those teenagers who 15, 20 years ago had the classical orthodontics now coming back with relapse, right? That's a, that's a thing. So, uh, in fact, I hate to say this, but my most popular orthodontic program is the clear aligner mini residency, whereas I'd like it to be the you know early treatment residency. But again, it's it's a, a demand. Every young dentist wants to learn aligner. Invisalign has done such a great marketing job uh, that uh, if you're not providing uh, Invisalign, you're almost like behind the, in the crowd. I don't know. I haven't done the stats, but I'd say greater than 70% of dentists in Sydney offer clear aligner therapy. Um, uh, so from a business point of view, if you want to have a profitable practice, yeah, including that in your repertoire. Um, but as I said, that's again, straightening teeth, probably a more aesthetic uh, way of, of, of doing it, but it's still not, and Invisalign is not going to fix the airway. Invisalign is not going to correct the, the TMD problem related to the retronathic mandible, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so, so where I get involved in adult ortho is really the complex cases, again, that have sleep apnea. And I work with a very competent maxillofacial surgeon for doing what's called an MMA, maxillary mandibular advancement surgery. And we do that to get people off their CPAP. And really what we're doing is reestablishing their jaws back to where they should have been if they had normal, good facial growth and a good airway. I mean, a good looking face is a good airway. So where I get involved in the adult population in my practice is the max fat cases that have airway. My searches do most of the, you know, straightening of the teeth um, at that age. I prefer, and my passion is the seven to nine because of my um, research in that area on airway, because I can really pick up a lot of things that many other people can't. Uh, and I've developed a reputation for that. So the majority of the referrals I get actually don't come from uh, just dentists. They come from uh, people involved in um, early early intervention on all sorts of things, speech pathologists, for instance, um, uh, and, uh, you know, and throat doctors uh, and pediatric sleep physicians. They send me the bulk of the patients because they understand what what I do and how it can help the overall health management of that patient. 
Thank you so much for listening to the Dental Head Start podcast. I genuinely hope this is helping you become a better dentist. So if you like what you're hearing, make sure you subscribe on your podcast player and I want you to do me a favor. I want you to go to social media and share something that you've appreciated from us with one of your friends. That's how the word gets out. That's how more people gain and benefit from what we're doing. And if you're a dental student or a graduate and you want to get a head start, go to dentalheadstart.com to find everything we're doing to help dental students become great dentists.